welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. Look at, which I thought was a little bit ironic because Pastor Mark said, hey, we'd like you to teach being the youth pastor and all on sin, temptation, the devil, and, and accusations and his deception. I said, well, perfect. I've been working with teenagers for 22 years. But teenagers grow up and become adults, so the message still applies to all of us. But uh, let me pray for us. Uh, it's in Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to begin, and then we're going to take a look in Matthew chapter 4 as well. But take a look with us as we work together. At, and I don't want to give him any more attention than, than needed other than to warn you and prepare you, but that Satan does have a mission, and he's a deceiver, he's an accuser, and as the scripture says, that ancient serpent, the dragon, he is bent out to keep us from not only knowing the truth, but twisting, perverting, if you will, the truth so that we can't look to the Lord, but look to other places. So we're going to, we're going to begin with the great deception back there in the third chapter of Genesis. But let's pray one more time as we get going. Father God, I do thank you for the joy, the privilege to share the truth. You are truth. Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, is the way, the life, the truth. I pray as we read together, as we reflect on the scriptures, you would stir in our hearts like an intimate worship time in a living room. It would be an intimate time in your word. That you would deliver us, that is my heart. That you would bring healing and deliverance from the lies that we've bought into, the deceptions, even the temptations we're not even aware that maybe we have fallen to. I pray that you would teach us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the third chapter, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And, and don't miss that. We're going to come back to that. That's the front, I would tell you, maybe the foremost of his mission, to always question God. If we have an accuser or deceiver, the serpent, he still to this day will, will plant a seed in us or a thought or a doubt that we buy into these lies that we don't even know, questioning what God said, questioning what God did questioning if the scripture is true and absolute. It is absolute and true, but we live in a world where the serpent's mission is carried out. Is that really what God said? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Ready? He doesn't give up. Satan then replies, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God wants us to be like him. He made us in his image. But the, ser the serpent is twisting this truth now. He's creating that first deception just to entice Eve that maybe she'll be more like God. What would be wrong with that? So eat of this fruit. Eat of this. Maybe gain wisdom. Watch what the response is. For God knows that when you eat of this, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, the serpent planted a seed there. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. Okay, it's a good thing. 
She took some and ate it. She bought that first deception. Now, don't miss this, guys. I, for a long time, I lived in this camp. It just shows you I'm still a sinful person growing. It's not Eve's fault, even though later Adam's going to blame not only Eve, but blames God and says, God, the woman you gave me made me eat it, right? But then about a year ago, I was journaling, and, and I was going through the scriptures day by day, as we've been doing in the church. And this passage just jumped out to me in a way that maybe if I've read it a hundred times or heard it a hundred times, it really spoke to my heart because it's here. Context. I teach at Laconia Christian Academy up there in the Bible, and we always say, context, context, context. The context is here. Adam is responsible. If Eve is the first one who sins and falls to this enticement, this deception, that would be a sin of commission. But the other word is, how about the sin of omission? The passive, not responsible Adam. He does not speak up. You know, I would say, I wish he had a machete in the garden. Not that he had a machete, but if he did, then he could have chopped the head off of the snake at the beginning. But then they probably would have sinned later. I don't know. I don't want to read into the text. But he didn't take responsibility. There is a sin of omission. He's passive. It's the fall of Adam that we refer to, not just the fall of Adam and Eve. He didn't take responsibility. Guys, it's responsibility. So for years, I probably was more like Adam, always quickly putting it to the side. Eve fell, and Adam fell because of Eve. He was deceived because Eve was deceived. And somewhere in there, God spoke into my heart and said, as you reflect on Scripture, no, Adam did not take responsibility. It was like God was saying, Mike, you're the head of a house. You have six boys now. Take some responsibility for all things. And I do believe that this is where Adam misses. Because it says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Listening, in the conversation, present in the garden. I, you know, maybe I learned in Sunday school that as a little kid that Eve ate the fruit and then she journeyed over here somewhere further away and she gave it to Adam later. I don't want to reflect too far, but I'm telling you, he was there with her and he didn't say anything. He didn't take responsibility. And so they both fall to the deception. Go ahead and eat. Did God really say this? So she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And on and on the story goes. Let me have you pull up that, that slide real quick. It just says, I think at the top of the mission, that if we have an accuser, a deceiver, it says in Scripture that he's like a thief, wanting to steal and destroy, like a wolf, in one of the parables Jesus is teaching to come and take away the sheep, a thief that's willing to take and steal. Well, he simply says, if you look at this, did God really say this? Did God really say? Now, I don't know if that question rings in your ear or not, but I have to tell you, I, I don't think it's like in Tom and Jerry, the little angel on one side of Tom being doing the good thing, and then the little devil with the pitchfork on the other side of his shoulder saying the other thing. I think maybe I, I grew into that. My kids still watch Tom and Jerry. I think they're funny, even though it's an incredibly violent cartoon. But it's not like an angel and a little devil with a pitchfork whispering, saying, did God really say that? The scripture says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. To take a little bit of time on it, to masquerade as an angel of light means it's not like this Frank Peretti story of a, of a demonic, evil-looking thing that smells like sulfur. 
or a little red cartoon pitchfork devil that's going, eh, he's bad, do it anyways. That's not what it is. It's, it means, as a deceiver, he often makes it look good. It's not what is best. It's not what God has intended or planned, but it's okay. It's good. And somehow we fall into it because it's good. Mo- most of us, now I know I told you I've worked with teenagers for 20 years. Some, I, I guess, willingly enter into what is bad. But I would tell you, most of us don't enter into what is bad knowing it's destruction. We enter into it thinking it's okay, it's not as bad, or maybe even it's good and enticing to the eye. And then in that, Scripture talks about that sin in us leads then it gives birth to destruction. The deceiver wants us to buy into what is good and not settle for what is truth. And a lot of times what is good is a lie, and we don't even know it. We buy into lies from the deceiver, and we don't even know it. Let me, let me pick us up in Scripture in Matthew chapter 4. If we're going to take a look at how to handle this, and I would call you deception that's not just in the fall, but in life. I want to take a look a little deeper into Matthew chapter 4, and then of course we'll look at Jesus and say, well, Jesus handled this deception. Satan is so full of his mission that he not only goes after for hundreds and thousands of years from Adam. So we have this gospel message and lesson. For thousands of years, he's going after people and kings, and he's crafty. But he's so full of himself, he's even going to take a shot at Jesus the Savior. He's taking truth and twisting it and going against truth. He's taking the words of God, and he's going to miss quote them, to the word of God. Jesus is the word. It's, it's ironic that he's taking words and then he's going to confront Jesus himself with these words as if he could even win. He's looking for an opportunity. Now, I, I read this and I take the time and I pray through this and it says in chapter 4, in the Gospel of Matthew, if you're there, it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit to the desert to be tempted by the devil. Well, that's an interesting introduction. He was led by the Spirit to be tempted. Well, why would the the Spirit lead him to be tempted? Uh, For me, I I just, I can't, as a Bible teacher, get away from asking questions. He was led to be tempted. Well, let's keep reading and we always can find the answers, right? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said. So he's weak in his flesh. He's, he's fully man, but he's fully God. But he's weak after 40 days. I tried fasting one time for four days. I, I was weak. I was worn out. Even preparing for this message, I thought, I'll just have one meal a day and, and, and really try to be faithful. And maybe the Lord will lead me into this understanding. And just to go with, with Jews for a few days, I, I need my food. I, got, I became weak after 24 hours. 40 days to me at least tells you that that Jesus was weak. And in his weakness, the tempter comes. The Bible says that Satan, that deceiver, is like a lion ready to pounce, waiting for that weak, if you will, if you watch Animal Kingdom at times, that one calf that's fallen behind or a sickly calf, and then pounce. It doesn't go after the brave, strong, but looking for weakness and then pounces. Jesus is weak. And the Spirit leads him to this moment. I, 
I don't want to give all the answers, but in my heart, I could tell you why. So that we have an example, so that we can see the word being confronted by half-truths, so that we can see that Scripture is a way, not just an opportunity, but is the way to rebuke the deceptions that we buy into, the lies that we buy into. Because Satan comes to him and simply says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, questioning, he knows exactly who he is. But if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me just help, help us for a minute as we just try to wrestle around this, and I'll tell you a story in a, in a couple of minutes. But does this make sense? This is Jesus' response, but if you had to really wrestle with this, you hear pastors and different people teach on the temptation of power and, and prestige and authority. But what is he asking them? You're Jesus. You're the Son of God. You have power. So you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. And my reflection on this is, hey, don't look to God. Look to yourself. Don't rely on God. I think, you know, as, as I work with adults and, and families, not just teenagers, for, for decades now, one of the myths that we buy into is look to yourself. That Satan, as an as a accuser and a deceiver, would say, you know what? Rely on yourself. Be self-sustaining. There's nothing wrong with being a steward of your finances and taking care of and considering the cost. But the lie here is rely on yourself and don't turn to God. The lie here is, you know what? Take care of yourself. And what Satan is doing is he's saying, take your eyes off of God the provider and take care of things. And Jesus' response is, look, man can't live on bread alone. But every word that comes from the mouth of God, my translation, my reflection is, man can't rely on himself and what he can do, but he looks to God and his truth and his word. I just share with you that we don't have to fall into this lie, but we do. I, this is my number one temptation or vice. I left a, a, a kind of a sweet deal in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, if you know my story, and, and trusted God to come here because why? New Hampshire, people don't go to church. That was exciting to me. People sort of laughed. If anybody's going to go is when people start saying, he's going to a place where it's top five in the country that people aren't, don't believe in Jesus Christ. It's the top five states in the country where people don't go some people even say at the top of the list. And so the people that knew me in Pennsylvania said, oh, he's getting serious. He's going to move. He wants to be there. He wants to go where people don't go to God. Of course. It's the way I'm wired up. That's why I work with teenagers and love it. Because they look to everything else but God until they what? Learn to live on the word of God and, and a relationship with him where they can trust him. Same thing with us as adults, whether you're 26, 36, or 60-something. Or 70-something. We still look to ourselves because that is a lie. And what that means is we don't look to God first. We try to rely on our own strength, our own power. And for me, I, I would work not just three part-time jobs, but if I had to, five part-time jobs to feed my family without stopping and saying, but God, i got to trust you and rely on you and look to your word. And so I constantly fall back into rely on yourself. You know, I grew up in a uh, a land and property that we had to work hard on the weekends and, and then we got to play. And sometimes the work was so hard we never got to play. And then we'd have to work some more. 
And so I grew up in a certain work ethic that said, hey, do it by yourself, provide for yourself, and you'll be okay. And so what flies in the face of that is, do you look to God or do you look to yourself? We buy into that. I buy into this more than anything. Rely on yourself and what you can do instead of looking to God's word and what he's already done or how he's going to provide. The second temptation, because of course our adversary is not going to give up, it says the devil took him to the holy city. I would tell you, he took him to a place that's so, so precious to him. What, what meant so much to Jesus? His people, but the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If, again, he questions, you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He's going to quote, again, he's going to quote scripture to the scripture. He's going he's to start quoting word from Psalms to the word and the giver of the word. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus is going to answer him. Hear this. this. This is a tough one. But if you're still trying to, if I'm trying to warn you and prepare you, and Satan has a plan and a mission. One, to deceive. But one is, look to yourself, not to God. And I would tell you, two, harm yourself. Whatever the consequences are of that decision that you're going to make, don't worry about it. God will take care of it. God is a loving God. God is a God who is faithful, steadfast, compassionate, slow to anger. But we buy into somehow this kind of part truth, half truth of the promises. You know what? God is forgiving and loving. And so the decisions we make, God will cover over those. That is true. That is biblical. He forgives us. But just because he forgives us does not mean there are consequences when we take a jump from the top of a temple. And, and I share that with you because part of his plan, if you could identify it and know that it's coming, is will this harm me or somebody else? Is this destructive? Or do I rely again on God's grace and God's forgiveness? Is this going to harm somebody? And we kind of quickly buy into it's okay. The scripture tells us this. And we buy into a little bit of God will keep us from stumbling or falling. So I, I share that with you only because, wow. If I could convince somebody that this harm, this destruction, is exactly the devil's plan. But we don't usually enter into something knowing it will hurt us. Because he's a masquerading as an angel of light. So we enter into something thinking, the consequences aren't that bad. It's okay. It's enticing. It's pleasurable. And well, even if I do make a mistake, even if this is wrong, God will forgive us. God will take care of us. God will love us. But his mission is to convince us, the deceiver, the accuser, that we would enter into something that would harm us. It's a temptation that we don't get to stir and be quiet enough about because we don't realize the things we do harm others or could harm us. And we're not thinking, hmm. Jesus' response, though, is, is simple, but there's depth to this. Jesus responds in verse 7, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Can, can I just unpack it? Trust in God. Well, is that what he said? Don't put him to the test? It's, it's, a, it's a Pastor Mike youth paraphrase. Trust in him. If the first one is look to him, rely on him, the second one is don't put him to the test. There are consequences for our decisions even though God is loving and kind 
and compassionate and slow to anger. But when you make those decisions, there is harm and there are consequences. And so Jesus says, trust in God. It's a warning. Don't put God to the test. Don't take a jump thinking he's just going to take you and take care of you and pick you up. Don't put him to the test. Just put your trust in him. The deceiver wants to harm, and we don't always know it, but harm is at the top of his list. The third, third temptation, again, because he is not going to give up, the accuser comes back at him and says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. Now, see, I read as I read scripture. It's already his. What's he mean he's going to give it to him? That doesn't make any sense. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, most of us say that's just, that's not going to happen in the temptation. But I would tell you this third one, when Jesus responds here in a minute, is probably the one that we, most of us fall into. We don't worship Satan, the deceiver, directly. But let me help you reflect, at least from my heart, as you look at the scripture. Satan simply says, don't acknowledge God in what you do. Don't give him worth in what you do. What you do, if you package his mission and his deception from the beginning, is rely on yourself. Don't worry. Whatever you do and the decisions you make, they don't have consequences. Don't worry about it. Harm yourself. God will take care of it. Number one, he's saying, look, don't rely on God. Number two, if it hurts, God will take care of it. And number three, he's saying, and just don't acknowledge God. Don't worship him. Now, none of us would, I would think, I've had a few teenagers over the years, maybe their parents as well, that intentionally have tried but not, most of us would not intentionally worship Satan, even if he gave us everything. That's the sell your soul and get whatever you want concept. But yet, we buy into the temptation is we just don't acknowledge God with our workplace. We don't worship him with our marketplace, our jobs. Our marriages and our families don't look to him. We look again to ourselves. And we, we fall into this temptation, and I, and I know I do, not just number one and two in the temptation, but the third part is, do I worship God with this? Do I give him worth or this term glory with my work, with my relationships, with my marriage, with my family? And so this one is, this is a little bit more subtle, but Jesus' response, and this is my favorite part, Jesus said to him in verse 10, away from me, Satan. It's a rebuke. Away from me, you deceiver, you accuser. Away from me, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, I've got, I've got to share this with you because this is, this is heavy. So uh, talking about sin and temptation. But Jesus speaks truth to the lies. And that's something that maybe we don't do well because we start to buy into the lies. I want to make a difference. I want to be significant. And so for me to be significant, I must do something. I know this is a mistake, but, but God will cover over my mistakes. I'm going to do the best I can. And we stop looking to God, and we stop giving him worth and worship. And so we have deceived ourselves. Satan's mission is only to plant the seed. And even as Christians growing up in, in families or with good intentions looking to God, we buy into these part truths, and we become deceived and not even know it. We, we buy into lies and not even know it. And so for my prayer is that God would release us, give us eyes, to see his truth, but he would release us from any lies or deceptions that we bought into. 
Something that says rely on yourself and yourself alone and not look to God. Something that would harm you and you don't even know it, that it's harming you. And even if you do, saying that's okay, I'm just going to look to God and he'll cover over it. There's truth there. He, he's a gracious God, a loving God, a forgiving God. But yet we enter on doing these things because we buy into the lie that it really doesn't matter if I do these things because God's going to cover over those. And so it gives us permission to continue. And Jesus is saying, no, don't put God to the test. Often I translate that as, he will let you stumble because often in your pit and your bottom, he meets you there. <coughs> the test of God is a lot different if he's going to try and sift you. He's always sifting my heart, meaning he's always challenging my heart and what's not right with him and what I lean on, my own understanding versus his. So we listen to counselors and we listen to other advice, and that sounds good, but it's not truth. It's part truth. It sounds good. It might work. It probably could work, but it's still not biblical truth that comes from God. So let me share a story with you. And I'm going to ask the music team here in a couple minutes to come up. Not yet. If you could think back when you were last deceived, knowingly, willingly, sometimes we don't know it. If you could think back of a time when you were last deceived. I could think back to the earliest time I was deceived. But for some of us, maybe we don't know it, but we were deceived yesterday. We were manipulated. We, we listen to these lies and these accusations of the world, and we don't even know that we're listening to them. But if you had to think, I don't want you to camp there and live there for a moment, but the last time you were deceived, I'm going to go back to the first time, the earliest time I can remember I was deceived. I was age uh, eight, eight years old, on vacation. I was visiting my grandfather in Florida over winter. We would do that every year. And as a little boy, there was a treasure hunt. It's really something an eight -year every eight-year-old boy has to do or try. But as this eight-year-old boy, I went to Florida, and the boardwalk where he was, he kind of had a place near the ocean front, and we'd always go to the boardwalk. And the merchants put together this deal that if you would go from storefront to storefront, they would give you clues. And if you collected the clues and figured them out, eventually you would find gold. Well, I went into this contest thinking, I'm going to find gold. And after going to three stores, and he had to buy something to get their clues. It just wasn't walking in. So as an eight-year-old, I kept saying, I need five more dollars. I need, I don't know if it was ten dollars. or I had to buy something to get a clue. And in the third or fourth store, I can't remember exactly what, I got this map. And I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to get, but when I got this map, I looked at it, and I was like, there's a treasure. At the end of this, there's a treasure. It's gold. And I was set. After that, I was like, I'm going to follow this map and I'm going to put the clues together and I'm going to journey through this. And there was probably 10 or 11 stores. And after I followed the clues and went through the clues, and I started to have a little crowd following me because I had a map and everybody's like, what's he doing? And he'd go up and say, I'm finding a treasure. And people hear that. He's following a treasure. Well, he's eight years old. Does he really have a map? And so I went through this. I put this all together and I got to the last clue. And the merchant looked at me, kind of one of those looks, you're at the end. Just go around the store, and the treasure is there. The gold. I, I was hoping I could dig, like, you know, a shovel on the beach and open up the sand, you know, hole there. And, but it was, it was on the side of the store. I was, wow. And I remember walking around the store, and there was this barrel of all these certificates. Not one, but, you know, I don't know, a dozen or 50 of them. And he opened it up, and inside the certificate was two gold chocolate-covered aluminum-foiled coins. 
I was so disappointed. I was crushed. I was crushed. I was finding real gold. I did all this, and I, I was seeking out truth by putting the clues together and finding out the right answers. And I was so disappointed. And I remember crossing my arms. You deceived me. I was deceived. I looked at my grandpa because my parents at the time and others had kind of given up on the journey. So it was just my grandpa and I now. And I looked at him and I said, I was deceived. And he's wise. 60-some years at the time. He's well past now. But when I was an 8-year-old, he was 60 years old. And he looked at me and I looked at him and I, I was deceived. Now, most boys would be happy with two pieces of chocolate covered in aluminum foil and having coins and finish this. But for me, I wanted gold. Even some fake metal coins, you know, something that was shiny that I could, you know, even convince myself was worth something. But I knew chocolate, you know, even a, even a metal coin that wasn't even gold but dirty looking, I would have been happy. But chocolate, that's not worth anything. I spent at least $30, $40 in merchant, merchandise to get these clues. And my grandfather in his wisdom, you know what he did? He just listened. And I told him I was going to go back to each merchant and tell them I was deceived. I became the accuser. I went back and told each merchant. You know, my my grandfather, he he didn't say a lot at times, but when he did, it was just always, God was always teaching me. He let me go back from 1110 down to the first one and accuse each merchant. Now, I don't know why he did it, but, you know, over years you can reflect on those moments and go, why did he let me go? You know, I cried in a few of the stores and... And then they cried and offered me something else in the store as replacement, you know. <laughs> I was so upset that I was deceived. And I went back and accused all of my, my deceivers. And after it was all said and done, maybe I should go back and apologize, but I never have. After it was all said and done, my, my grandfather took me out to the beach, sat me down and said, can I talk with you? I'm like, yeah. I said, Mike, there's so much more in the life that you're going to live. There's so much more. But this world you're going to grow up in is deceitful. It's full of deception. But he he cautioned me in a few things. One was, don't ever be the accuser, even if you're deceived. I didn't share that in the first service, but I I realized, you know, I I was the accuser. My grandfather said, don't ever be the accuser. My, My grandfather had great wisdom in God, but he said this, the real treasure the gold that's worth more than gold. And he always carried a little pocket Bible. You know, he's one of those guys with those little pocket Bibles. And he opened it up on the beach. It's a beautiful ocean. And we're sitting there on the, on the sand, and I'm still frustrated. He said, but worth more than gold is this real treasure. And he said, there's a treasure map that you can follow in the scriptures that will lead you and lead you to understanding. And he sat there, and he talked to me about the, the greatest and most amazing gift told me more about Jesus Christ, but he told me, the real treasure is here. So even if you're deceived, I said, Mike, so much more. I know you wanted gold, but it's here. And he introduced me. I, I think I knew who Jesus was at the time about him, but he introduced me and says, but what's worth it? That, he said, is worth your life. That is worth digging into. And just so you know, he was not only right, maybe it led me on that path to continue to pursue truth and scripture and the answers. And in when deceived, maybe I don't get so frustrated. Sometimes I do. But I don't get so frustrated. 
But I take my kids on a family vacation every year to visit their grandpa, my dad now. And what I do with them is I take them out to the beach, don't make them go to the merchant stores, and I set up this elaborate treasure hunt for them. Every year, it's family tradition. We go to Florida, escape the winter for a week, and we get there, and I've already set up five, six feet down in the sand a real treasure chest with metal, shiny metal, and trinkets of of cups and, and different things that look like but I always tell them, well, it's gold, shiny, but it's not worth a lot. And I sit down there and I give them the same message. I know you're excited, and sometimes I dress up as a pirate with my Johnny Depp hair. <laughs> and we got pirate flags going like this down the beach. But I sit them down and I tell them, but the greatest treasure is the truth of God. The greatest treasure is this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and what God has done for us. The real treasure is Jesus Christ. Now, of course, they, they're carrying the the treasure chest out, and they actually, my kids have handed out the trinkets, and I'm, you know, as an antique dealer, some of those are worth some money, so I'm always counting them, going, well, that was an expensive one, but they're giving them away, and, and two years ago, almost three years ago now, they gave away all these treasures, so there was nothing left in the treasure chest. I thought, ah, the message is catching on. That just cost me $212 in gold-looking brass relics that I thought I could collect for a while, but they gave it all away, and they simply, my oldest said, well, Mike, Mike, Dad, I hope they don't call me Mike yet. Dad, it's really not worth anything. The most important is, and they kind of gave me the message back, the most important treasure is I was calculating how much I lost in their gifts. The most important treasure, Dad, is God. And the real treasure is his truth and his word. And I nodded my head and said, oh, children, how much did you give away? Did you really put that? And I went right back to you. They gave away all my trinkets. But they started to give it away because it no longer had value, and it really stirred in my heart. The gold and the money didn't have its value even to the precious boys who that's what they were digging after because they realized God's the most important. Satan wants us to buy into any other lie that says God's not the most important, even if other things are good, and says, but God is the most important. I'm going to invite the worship team up here, and I'm going to close this in prayer. They're going to play that, that worship song again that I pray is an intimate stirring. My prayer is that God is the most important. And when we look at Scripture, we look to the Word for truth. No matter what we, maybe we're not sure, we buy into as a lie. But if we were going to go on a treasure hunt, you don't have to go far. There's a map right back here. And there's a treasure in Jesus Christ that we get to be on His mission and, and part of His mission sharing Him with others. But knowing Him is the greatest treasure. And don't let the deceiver, the accuser, deceive us anymore. Look to truth, even as Jesus did. And take responsibility. Guys, take responsibility. That's what I keep telling myself. Take responsibility. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray. Looking to you and acknowledging you, it is my heart's prayer that you would deliver us Give us healing from the decisions we've made that indeed have consequences. Remind us and and show us your amazing love, your forgiveness, no matter what we've done. But Lord, let us look to you and not rely on ourselves. Let us not enter into harm's way, but to put our trust in you. And Father God, let us give all worth and worship to you and not other things. Let us acknowledge you in our workplace, our businesses, our families, our marriages, our relationships, 
let our children desire you as the greatest treasure. Let us desire you like children, faith of children. Let us desire you that you're the real treasure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.